Thank you, Jackson and band. Wonderful, wonderful worship time. Great to be back with the Harvest Hill family. Some of you I know, and some of you know me and my role, but let me give just a further brief introduction. I'm the director of the Green County Baptist Association, and Harvest Hill, of course, is one of uh, approximately 100 congregations that make up our association, big, big churches, you know, uh, of course, Crossway, Second, and Ridgecrest would be by far the largest, and then little teeny bitty churches. We've got a church in northwest part of the county that probably will be fortunate if they have five in attendance this morning, but it's a good little church with a rich history, and uh, everything in between, uh, your, your associational family worships in several languages, across the association, two Hispanic churches, a Filipino church, Chinese church, Korean church, Burmese church, and uh, other possibilities uh, that we really need to begin some additional ethnic work. And uh, of course we do summer camps and you all are very supportive of our Baptist Hill camps. The association owns and operates the Grand Oak Mission Center, a food and clothing ministry on the west side of Springfield that serves about about a hundred families a day three three days a week great great work and and harvest till is supportive of the association involved in ministries and so thank you for that uh but it it's uh uh and my my work is to is to kind of oversee all of that uh which is a blessing and a challenge of course obviously a lot of a lot of challenges but i love it in fact after church today. I want to stick around and visit for just a few minutes, but then I'll need to go to another one of our churches that's having a, a, a young church too, about not, not probably even as old as Harvest Hill, that is having a lunch this afternoon and they're starting a strategic planning process. And I'm going to help them do a kind of a group family, a family meeting to kind of jumpstart a strategic planning process that this church is doing and and I do quite a bit of that with our churches work a lot with pastors probably the most important thing I do is try to just bless and encourage pastors and uh, uh, appreciate your pastor Mike very much and and his ministry and I want to be a blessing and an encouragement to him in his work uh, healthy pastors healthy strong energetic pastors uh, you know, impact their churches for the kingdom in great ways. So again, it's a great joy to be back with you this morning. Thank you, Harvest Hill, for your terrific support of our association and uh, just praise God for this, this great church. Um, let me just lead us in a moment of prayer and then we're going to ju jump into God's word this morning. Father, thank you for your presence and guidance upon us. Lord, we're just what a blessing it is to be your children. Uh, we just cannot thank you enough for the privilege, God, of being your children and being in your family and the benefits of that. At the same time, Lord, we thank you for the blessing of serving you. What, what an amazing thing that you not only call us to be your children, and to be a part of your family, but you give us joyful responsibility. You give us the opportunity to be 
you here in the world, in our, with our family, in our neighborhood, at our work, at school, and we get the privilege, God, of sharing your word and influencing people for your sake. What a, what a joyful purpose for life. Thank you, Father, for Pastor Mike and his family, and I pray for them as they're away. Give them a refreshing, energizing time. Lord, I pray for Harvest Hill Church, for your vision for this church and for their future. Uh, thank you for the solid leaders this church has and its rich, young but rich history. And I pray, God, for its great future. Lead us now as we open your word. Lord, we just want to focus for a few moments on your word and what you would state, say to us this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. And the title of my message this morning is Kingdom, Keys and Killers. In Matthew chapter 16, oh, about halfway through the chapter, we find an, uh, an interesting encounter between the Lord Jesus and Peter. And I want us to begin with this, and then we're going to actually move to a story in the book of Acts. But Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13, I read, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, the, the phrase of this passage I want to focus on this morning is Jesus giving the keys of the kingdom to Peter. Now, first of all, you know, why Peter? There's a couple of questions in here that, that uh, we're going to address some of the controversy of this passage I'm not going to deal with in detail. I'll share just a, a moment about. But first of all, why Peter? Well, Jesus, of course, is playing a little bit with Peter's name here. In, in the Greek, Peter is Petra, which means rock. And so Peter's name kind of lends itself to this idea of Peter being stable and solid. On the other hand, as we read further, or really not further, as we read in the Gospels, we notice that Peter, if he is a rock, is a pretty flaky rock. He's a pretty porous rock. He's not a solid rock, at least not at this time. But I think a part of what we're seeing here is Jesus realizing the potential that Peter has. Peter this flaky, porous rock, as we read further in the Bible, we discover does become 
a solid rock, really the first leader of the church. Now, our Catholic friends, of course, they interpret this to mean that God, Jesus, gave Peter, who was, who was considered later the first bishop of Rome. Of course, the church was not organized to that degree, quite honestly, in this day. It wasn't until several hundred years later that there was such a thing as a bishop of Rome. But they, they, they considered him the bishop of Rome, and so Jesus gave the keys to Peter, and then Peter would give it to the next pope, and that one to the next pope, and that one to the next pope, on down through the ages. We don't interpret this passage in that regard at all. Jesus did give the keys to Peter. He does say that. He said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. But I think Peter was, was symbolic. He was the first of many. As you read through the rest of the Gospels, you see not only did Jesus give the keys to Peter, but he gave the keys to the other apostles. He gave the keys to the early disciples. They gave the keys to the next disciples. They gave the keys to the next disciples. They gave the keys to the next disciples and on down through the generation until today those keys to the kingdom have been given to you and me. We each who consider ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus Christ, have been given the keys to the kingdom. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 10. And I'm not going to read the story, but I want to talk down through a very powerful, critical, key experience in the development of the early church. In Acts chapter 10, we begin by reading about a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier, a Roman soldier who leads a hundred men named Cornelius. Now Cornelius was a, a God-fearer, a believer in the Jewish God, even practiced the Jewish religion devoutly, even though Cornelius was a Gentile, a non-Jew. But he believed in the Jewish God and was a spiritual man seeking after the Lord. One time or one day, the Lord sent an angel to visit Cornelius and told Cornelius that he was to send for a man named Peter who was in a nearby city called Joppa, have Peter come to his home to explain to Cornelius and his family the complete gospel or to talk about Jesus. Cornelius didn't know about Jesus. He just knew about the Jewish faith and the Jewish religion, the Old Testament law. And so this angel told him to go get Peter, bring Peter back to their home where he would explain the more complete way. Now, so, so Cornelius did that. He sent some men according to the directions of, that he had been given to find this Peter and bring him back. The next day, we read that Peter was visiting a friend in this town of Joppa. And he went up to the roof of this gentleman's house to, to rest. Now, uh, you remember or would know that the homes in the, in the Middle East, in that part of the world, 
oftentimes have a, a roof where you can sit and relax with an awning or a tent. And obviously that was the case. So Peter went to the roof of the home to rest and just, you know, just, uh, just kind of take a nap, a little siesta. And in the midst of that, he had a vision or a dream or he fell into a trance, as my translation says. And he saw heaven open up in this sheet-like thing lowering down before him. And on this sheet were animals. Now, and these animals were unclean animals according to the Old Testament law. In other words, they were animals that were forbidden for the Jewish people to eat according to the Old Testament law. Peter was a good Jew. He obeyed the law and obeyed the dietary laws of the Old Testament. But as this sheet was lowered, a voice came from heaven that said, Take Peter, kill, and eat. Well, he said, No, Lord, I'm not going to disobey your law. I'm not going to do that. Well, this vision happened three times, and each time Peter said, You know, no, Lord, I'm not going to do it. Well, at the close of the third time, these gentlemen from Cornelius arrive at the door of the home where Peter is and make themselves known. So Peter came down and by this time he realized, you know, God's up to something here. Something's going on. I better pay attention. He realized these men must be from the Lord. And so they told him while they were there and, and Peter said, well, let's go. Let's go. I'll go with you. So they took off on the road back toward uh, Cornelius's home, arrived at the home of Cornelius. Peter did something he had never done before. He entered into the home of a non-Jew, a Gentile, went into Cornelius's home. I can only imagine the trepidation, the, the fear, the anxiety he was feeling. And then clearly he understood God had sent him to this home. He shared with them the more complete gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ. The people trusted Christ. Cornelius and his family trusted Christ. The Holy Spirit descended upon them. Peter saw evidence of that and he realized something was different. Something had changed. The gospel of Christ was now open to Gentiles non-Jews. And so we have here a powerful story that really was a, a marker, a, 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 a demarcation of a new day in the spread of the gospel of Christ. I want us to think about the keys to the kingdom this morning. We hold, you and I literally hold, as Peter did, Keys to the kingdom. With those keys, we have the power, we have the authority to unleash the gospel. Or we can tuck those keys away, put them, put them in our pocket or purse, and literally shut down the gospel. We hold the keys. I want us to think about these keys in these ways. We're going to think about keys and killers. We're going to think about Three keys and three killers regarding the kingdom. And we're going to use Peter as both our good and bad example because he was both. First, 
Change is a key. Status quo is a killer. Now, as I've already mentioned, Peter was a good Jew. He obeyed the law. He obeyed the dietary laws, the worship laws, the sacrificial laws of the Old Testament. And he believed that the Jewish people were the chosen people of God and the Gentiles or the non-Jews were not. That's what he believed. That's what he had been taught. Then he has this trance. And this sheet comes down from heaven and animals, unclean animals, according to the Old Testament law, are on this sheet. And this voice comes from heaven, which he assumes is the voice of God. And it tells him to take, kill, and eat, which he's never done before. It tells him to violate what he understands to be Old Testament laws. What's he going to do? Well, he can either maintain the status quo and live as he's always lived, or he can change. Peter decides to change. When those gentlemen come to the door of the home there in Joppa, he can say, nope, I'm not going with you. Maintain the status quo. Or he can get up and go with them, knowing that he's going to be criticized, possibly ostracized by the other apostles and other early Christians who at that stage were all Jews. Peter had to change. And when he was willing to change, when he changed, he enacted a key to the kingdom and through his ministry and will, willingness to change, opened the door for the Gentiles to hear the gospel and come to Christ. <laughs> Friends, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit of God is the great change agent. If we're going to live a Christian life, if we're going to live in light of Christ's presence in our lives, literally every day, we have a choice. Maintain the status quo, stick the keys in our pocket or purse, or live with continual change. Change in attitude. Change in relationships, change in activity and service, change in moving out of our comfort zone to serve or to share Christ or whatever it may be. Every day, every day, the Holy Spirit dwells within us constantly. He is impressing upon us through His Word, through just impression, through opportunity, the need for us to change. Change is a key. Status quo is a killer. How do you need to change? What needs to happen in your life? 
personally, maybe again, attitude-wise. We live in a day and time when, you know, our attitudes, my attitude sometimes just stinks. And we hear so much negative stuff, so much negative stuff on the news, on TV, through social media. It's easy for us to get absorbed into that and think that way. We need to change our attitude. What about just your service? Maybe some of you have, have been active in the church, and, but you kind of stepped back a little bit. Uh, you know, you had energy at one point, but now some of that motivation's gone. Maybe you need to face that and change. Your church needs you. You need to change and be willing to serve. You know, what about, what about money? What about finances? You know, if we're not willing to, every area of our life must be surrendered to Christ. We must be willing to change faithfully, regularly. If we're going to be a part of God's kingdom, if we're going to be a part of God's family, if we're going to enact the keys that He's given us, the life that He designed for us to live. Change is a key. Status quo is a killer. Second, faith is a key and fear is a killer. Now, Peter knew fear. You'll remember the story where the Lord Jesus was walking across the water. The disciples were in the boat and the Lord Jesus was walking across the water. And Peter, you know, wanted to go to him. And Jesus said, well, come on. And Peter jumped out of the boat and began to walk toward him. And of course, what happened then? Peter took his eyes off the Lord and he began to look at the waves and the wind and he got scared and began to sink. Fear. Peter knew fear. And of course, he especially knew fear when the Lord Jesus was arrested and he followed closely behind to see what was happening and he was confronted by a young woman and he denied knowing the Lord. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him with cursing. He was afraid. So, so Peter, Peter knew fear. He was a man who struggled with courage and faith. But in this instance, here in Acts chapter 10, this story in Acts chapter 10, Peter had a huge choice. He could have reacted in fear and just said, no, I'm going to be criticized. I'm going to be ostracized. You know, my friends are going to be mad at me if I do this. No, no, it's best if I just sit still. He could have succumbed to fear. I can only imagine as he was walking beside Cornelius' emissaries, Cornelius' messengers, back to the home of Cornelius, what was going through Peter's mind. Again, the criticism he was going to receive, the difficulty he was getting himself into. And as you read further in the book of Acts, you immediately see he was criticized. He was, he was bashed for his, his uh, action here. But he didn't succumb to the fear. He acted in faith. He knew that God had spoken to him and he stayed faithful to the vision and to God's plan. How is fear keeping you or your church from living God's best, from 
enacting that key of faith? How is fear suppressing you or your church from progressing? One of the enemy's number one targets is to create doubt or fear within uh, church, church leaders' hearts. I know that personally. And we must be constantly overcoming the weakness and the tendency to fear, toward fear, to enact faith. How's keep fear keeping you from serving, from giving, from trusting and progressing? Faith, faith is contagious. You know, if you want your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids to be people of faith, you've got to be a person of faith. Faith is like uh, when a little pebble is tossed in a pond and the ripples go out. Just keep on going. You, you act in faith and uh, you do something in faith. You take a step of faith in service or in giving or in, you know, uh, uh, stepping up your relationship to the Lord with prayer and studying the Word, whatever it may be, you take that step of faith, it infects others around you in the church and impacts the church, the church body. And wow, the results of that are enormous and beneficial for the kingdom of God. See, that's enacting that, that key of faith that opens all kinds of doors presently but in the future. Faith is a key. Fear is a killer. And then third, relationship is a key. Religion is a killer. All Peter's life had been about the law, obedience to the Old Testament law. As I've said several times, he was faithful to the dietary laws of the Old Testament. Faithful to those laws. He was faithful to the sacrificial laws. He brought sacrifices regularly to the temple to be offered by the priest on his behalf to God. He was faithful to that. Faithful to other laws. He knew those laws. He was faithful to them. That was his religion, and he was religious about his religion. And then Jesus came. I think probably here in Acts chapter 10, there were several aha moments for Peter. One, obviously, was that the... The gospel was for everybody, not just for the Jews. But I think another aha moment for Peter was a realization that this, this is no longer about a religion. It's no longer about adherence to certain Old Testament guidelines and laws. Sure, if we're going to be a follower of Christ, there, there is this thing of obedience and faithfulness. And so we're going to live a certain way. But, but the motivation is not the obedience. The motivation is Jesus Christ and our relationship with Him. And so when he shared the gospel with the family of Cornelius and they trusted Christ and the Holy Spirit came upon them and that was obvious... 
Peter knew that this is not about adherence to a certain religious tradition or obeying certain Old Testament laws. This is about a personal relationship and walk with Jesus Christ. It's about knowing Christ and living in light of His presence, His activity in our lives. Wow! What a revelation! What a, what a, uh, you know, what a come to Jesus time! What an amazing experience! Not about religion. It's not about the adherence of certain religious traditions. A young church like Harvest Hill understands that or should understand it because you broke with certain religious traditions to plant this church. And you want to live in light of that spirit, breaking free from religious traditions that can sometimes be barriers for people to come to church. You know, I love your building and, and your sign and, and a lot of people that won't go to a a big or traditional kind of church setting would feel welcome in this location. Those are a breaking down of certain barriers and religious traditions. You know, you don't do worship in exactly the old-fashioned way, which is good. You're creative and energetic and trying some new things. That's good. Those are things you want to continue to be on edge with and continue to move forward to make sure people know that Harvest Hill Church is not about a religion, but it's about Jesus Christ and knowing Christ and living in light of Christ's presence in our lives. We must be careful, all our churches and each of us personally, we must be careful that we don't set up religious barriers as, as we see were present in the, in, in the New Testament and in Acts that keep people from coming to Christ. We want to lower those barriers. We want to get rid of those barriers so people have access to the Lord Jesus. And we want to make sure people know that it's about a relationship with Christ and not about some historical religious precedence. We hold the keys. I hold the keys. You hold the keys. If you know Christ, you have been given the keys. You've got a choice. We've got a choice. We can take those keys and we can just stick them in our pocket and live each day as though life were our own. Maybe we come to church on Sunday. Maybe we participate some, maybe not, but just go about our business, not allowing the keys that we possess to make any difference really to us or others. Or we can take those keys out of our pocket and we can enter into each day saying, Lord, I'm yours. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and what he's done for me and that he lives in my life. Use me today as you would. Allow me to enact the keys that you've given me for your good and for the good of the gospel. What key, keys do you need to enact in your own life to fulfill 
Christ commands his presence and blessing upon you. What key or keys does Harvest Hill Church need to enact to move forward to unleash the gospel to Stratford and beyond? Would you bow your heads, please? I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and then Jackson and the band will come and lead us in a closing decision time. I want each of us just to ask ourselves during these moments, you know, Lord, thank you for giving me the keys. What do you want me to do with them? Or what should our church be doing with the keys that you've given us? What's next for us? Use these moments to seek the Lord in that regard. Be ready, be ready as Peter was for change, to step forward in faith and to trust through your relationship with Christ. Father, we thank you for these moments, for your word, for Peter, who was both our bad and good example. Thank you, Father, for entrusting us with keys to the kingdom. Oh, my goodness, what a responsibility, but what a privilege that every day we have the joy of living in light of your presence and your purposes in this life. Every day has divine purpose, and we can take those keys you've given us and enact them for your great good. Bless these closing moments. Draw us to yourself, Lord, and may your precious and perfect will be done in each of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as, as Jackson leads us. And Jason, would you come and stand at the front? Maybe you just need to come for a word of prayer or just pray in your, in your seat there. That would be fine. Maybe there's some other commitment or decision you need to make. But each of us just listening to the Lord as God would speak to us this morning.